Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I knew there was going to be graduation tonight, and this message will fit everybody, but uh, I want to talk to you a bit about the person that God uses, and uh, I thought we could take 1 Samuel 17, where David goes and faces Goliath, and a little bit before, a little bit after, and uh, have a good word for everybody that's here. You know, when we think about uh, 1 Samuel 17, one of the best known stories in the whole Bible. In fact, I think it's really interesting. Many people know the story and don't even know it's in the Bible. But it's the story when David is sent by his father with a pizza for his brothers. Well, it said that he was bringing bread and cheese. Is that a pizza? I mean, it sounds like a pizza to me. All right. And he gets down there and there's a giant that has just come out from the battle line of the Philistines, who's been doing it every morning and every night for 40 days. And he begins to shout. And uh, you and I, we may face a different giant. His name is not Goliath. It might be named fear. It might be a personal sin or an addiction. It might be lust or pornography or gluttony or pride. And we can be like the people that we're hearing Goliath, because the Bible said they were fearful and their, their thought was nobody could ever fight this guy. He is so big. He'll kill me. Uh, by the way, David saw the same giant and thought he's so big I can't miss. You know, it's totally it's a matter of perspective. All right. But we can think, you know, I'll never be free. I'll never get the victory. I'll never be normal. Uh, I'll never make it to the top. And uh, we, we can have the same type of an attitude that the army had when, and King Saul had when they heard Goliath. But the first thing about the person that God uses is they're willing to fight. Now, the Bible says it says fight the good fight of faith. You may not realize this, but the Christian life is a fight. From the spiritual womb to the spiritual tomb, it's a fight. And, and we've got to have that sort of an attitude. So Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. And there's going to be enemies. In fact, I, I, there was an old Christian song that talked about the promised land being heaven. But the truth is, the children of Israel went to that promised land, but it is not a type of heaven. It's a type of a victorious Christian life. Because when you get to heaven, there's no giants to fight. There's no walled cities to take. There's not seven nations that are your enemies that you need to dispossess. But how many of you know there's some enemies, there's some giants in the land. There's some walled cities that need to be taken. And so it's a type of the Christian life. And the person that God uses is the person who's willing to fight, who's not just going to sit back and say, well, whatever happens, happens. Lo que sera, sera. Well, you will get beat over the head by the devil. That's what's going to happen to you. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. I love one translation. It says, from the onset, immediately, he shows up, no footsie, no playing games, 
Right now, resist him. Now, shortly before this, the Israelites had wanted a king. And for 400 years, every time the, the uh, Israelites were oppressed, God would raise up a leader. But the day came when the last of the judges, Samuel, was getting old and they said, we want a king. We want to be like the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Philistines and the Egyptians. And we want to be like we want like them and we want a king who can lead us and who can rule. And uh, the first king that they had, his name was Saul. The Bible says that from the shoulders and above, he was taller than anybody. He was handsome. He came from a very prominent family. And that's what the people wanted. Well, he became king and it didn't take very long until pride got into his heart. He disobeyed God and was rejected as king by God. And then what he did was he literally he fought to stay in that position, that political position of king. And God said this. He said, I've chosen a man after my own heart. I've chosen a man after my own heart. And, and I would just like to say it like this. God uses people that are hungry for God. In 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this, he spoke to that king, he says, you've done foolishly. But God's eyes are running back and forth across the whole earth, and he's looking for somebody to show himself strong for. And it's that person who really, really has a heart for God. You know, God gives us commandments to teach us how to live. He gave us statutes to teach us how to think. He gave us testimonies so that we would know what to expect. But what God really wants is he wants our heart. It says that he made known his acts to the children of Israel, but his ways to Moses. Some knew what God did, but others knew God's ways. They knew him. That was Moses. He had a real heart for God. So God uses people that have a heart for God. And one of the ways that we know this about, about uh, David is that when he showed up, he began to talk about that Philistine based on the covenant that he had with God. He began to call him the uncircumcised Philistine because he didn't have a covenant with God. For you and I, I think Joshua 1.8 really gives us the same type of an of a expression that David had. David was a man of God's word. Uh, you read Psalms 119, and he's talking about how he loves the word, how he meditates in the word. He talks about God's commandments, about God's statutes, about God's testimonies. Those three things, again... We've got the commandments to know how to live. We have his statutes to know how to think. And we have his testimonies to know what to expect from God. But David was in those. He was a person of God's word. 
In Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein, because then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So the Lord said to Samuel, the last of the judges, after the king had disobeyed God and gone his own way, he said, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? I've rejected him as the king of Israel. So fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be king. Now, here's what I think is so interesting about this. He said one of his sons, but he didn't tell him which one. Really what this is, when God speaks a word to you like that, in the Bible, it's referred to as a word of wisdom. God's wisdom is about the future. But God doesn't give you wisdom. He just gives you a word of wisdom. He just gives you a little bit. He didn't tell him everything that was going to happen. He didn't even tell him which son. He just said, get there and I will show you which one of them it's going to be. You know what you and I always want in life is we want airplane landing lights in front of us. God's showing us what's going to happen for the next five years. You are fortunate when God shows you what's going to happen for the next five minutes. And you say, why does God do it that way? God does it that way so we keep trusting in him. So we stay connected to him. So we realize that we need him. Now, for example, in, in uh, Acts chapter 8, it says that Philip goes down to the city of Samaria and he preaches Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Many who were paralyzed and lamed were healed. And he's having this great revival. And he thinks that's what it's all about. But then this, the, the Lord speaks to him and says, now arise and go to the desert in Gaza. And they're like, hey, I'm having revival. Why would I want to go to a desert? But he obeys God. He leaves revival in the city. Huge city, city of Samaria, huge city. And he goes out into a desert and he sees a chariot. And God says, join yourself to that chariot. So he goes, gets next to the chariot. And the man in the chariot is reading the prophet Isaiah. And uh, he says, you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how can I? Unless somebody explain it to me. He climbs up in the chariot. He explains what's happening to the man who's from Ethiopia. He's one of the servants of, of the queen of Ethiopia in charge of the treasury. And the man hears the gospel and says, can I be baptized? There's some water. And he says, if you believe with all your heart, Jesus is the Christ, you can be baptized. He gets baptized. And get this, then the spirit of the Lord catches him away and he's gone. He's just gone. Now, here's what history tells us. That that man went back to Ethiopia and started a church that is still going today. Think about it. But you know what? God didn't show him everything that was going to happen. He just showed him a little bit. In fact, I like to say it like this. God happens on your way to do something else. It's kind of like divine interruptions all the time. And, and literally, it's like you are doing something else and God gets you. Some of you will, will know. I'm going to tell you a little story about Rick Renner. How many know who Rick is? Some of you will, will know. Um, this is 19... I think it's 1989, maybe it's 1990, but, but 
This church, you guys didn't know this, but you started a Bible school in Russia. First Bible school in Russia for 70 years. And so we had about uh, 15 families that moved to Russia. And we're running this Bible school. And I'm going over to Russia again. And I've got Rick as a guest speaker here at church. And uh, the guy I'm going to go with gives me a call. It's Sunday in between services. And he says, hey, I'm really excited. We're going to be going in a couple of weeks. And, da, 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 da. and he said, but we really need somebody else to come. And I said, Rick, come with us. And Rick said, no. He said, I'm called to America. And I said, no, come on this mission trip. He says, no, I hate missions. I hate missionaries. He says, I've got cousins that are missionaries. He says, all they ever do is complain. And they're just always asking for money. He says, I do not want to go. And I said, I literally, I, I, I did. I got mad, a little mad. And I says, I can't believe you. I says, here you are preaching all these churches in America, getting a big offering, and you will not go to a third world country and preach the gospel? I said, I am ashamed of you. I says, you need to come with us. You are not right. You need to get your heart right, and you need to get over in a third world country. I'm on him for like 10 minutes. He finally says, okay, I'll go. <laughs> so, so we get to Russia. I think it was, we, 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 he'd been preaching in the Bible school for three days, because that's what we're there to do. We're there as the guest teachers. So for three days, and he comes to me and he says, uh, he said, do you think that it would be possible for me to just cancel all my meetings in the United States and move to Russia for six months? And just teaching the Bible school. Well, I said, I can take care of the Bible school because I'm on the board. I said, you can come. We'd love to have you as a teacher. He said, canceling all your meetings? I think you can do that. I said, and, and, and I said, in our church, we'll, be the first, we'll give you the first $1,000 a month to support you. So he goes back, talks to his wife. They cancel all their meetings, move to Russia. He starts teaching in a Bible school. He is in the Bible school for six weeks, teaching and, and he gets an open door to get on television in just the, in, in one area of Russia. He gets on, and in six months, he's everywhere in Russia. Everywhere. And in the first two years, they had over two million people make first-time decisions for Christ and get involved in a correspondence Bible school. Now, listen. This is what he thought. He thought, I'm going to teach in a Bible school that he didn't want to go teach in. But God had a completely, completely different plan. God happens on your way to go somewhere. You got, you got an idea of what's going to happen. I just wanted you, you, want you to know what you think and what God thinks are usually not the same thing. God happens on your way to get somewhere. So, so Jesse, he's on the way to go and anoint, excuse me, Samuel's on the way to go and anoint one of the, the, the sons of Jesse. And uh, the Bible says, and they came and he looked at Eleb, that's the oldest son. And he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. He had the looks, you know, he was the firstborn. He looked kingly. He thought, man, this ought to be the one. And the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his physical statue, because I have refused him. 
In the Hebrew, they say that absolutely, the God is like, absolutely, positively not that one. I have refused him. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees. For man looks for on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Now, here's what I think is very interesting. After David is anointed to be king, his older brother opposes him. You'd think he would be excited. The exact opposite happens. He opposes him and tries to keep him from moving in his call. So then Jesse called Abinadad, that's the next son, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons. These must have been the magnificent seven. Pass before Samuel. And the Lord has not chosen any of these. And so Jesse standing there and Samuel looks at him and says, don't you have any other sons? And he said, well, yeah, there's the runt. There's the youngest one. And he's out watching the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go and send for him because nobody's going to sit down and nobody's going to eat until he shows up. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Jesse didn't even think it was worthwhile to bring David. He thought, if all my kids that could not be used by God, that's the one. That, that runt, that, that little kid that's watching over the shepherd, the, the, the sheep. So he ends up anointing David. And here's what I think is interesting. The next day, David went back to watching sheep. He's anointed to be king, but what is he doing? Watching sheep. You know, sometimes we have a touch of God on our life, and we think, whoa, everything is going to change today. No, you're probably going to go back to running a cash register or working at a computer or, or whatever it is that you're going to do. You see, because God says, hey, I want you to do this. And we're like, yes. And God says, in two years. And we're already gone. And God's like, hey, I got to do some character building in you first. I got some things I want to work into you. I got some things I want to work out of you. But David was the one that nobody, not his, not his brother, not his father, nobody thought he was the one. I think it's interesting. The Bible says not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things. You're here, you qualify. I'm here, I qualify. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Here's what people do. They look at you and they go, I knew you when. I knew you when you were a young, snotty-nosed kid. I knew you when you made those mistakes. And I knew you when you got drunk. And I knew you when you failed. And I knew you when you did drugs. And I knew you when you, and I knew you, and I knew you. And they try to know you according to the flesh. But God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. And he doesn't even look at your pedigree to determine your future. They say, man, I know your family and you guys are nothing special. You're failures. You're poor. You're uneducated. You're addicted. 
And there is no way that God's going to use you for anything. That's who God wants. That's who God wants. It says we should therefore regard no one according to the flesh. This is what the next verse says. Because if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. And old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all these things are of God. You and I might look at somebody and we might try to qualify them based on their past, based on their education, based on their family. The Bible says don't do it. Don't do it. Because if they're in Christ, they're a new creation. They're a new creature. God uses the people that everybody else thinks he cannot use. And he does it so that he will get the glory. God uses hungry people. My heart is fixed, David said. My heart is steadfast and confident. And I will sing and make a melody. He was fixed. He was hungry for God. He said, one day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. See, he had a hunger for God. And because of it, God chose him. People try to disqualify you. In fact, the Bible says about Jeremiah, they said he's too young. He's just, he's just disqualified. Abraham was too old and Moses was too criminal and Peter was too impulsive and John was too emotional and Timothy was too timid. Come on. You, you, you can find everybody in the Bible. You can find a reason why God should not have used them. But he did. He did. And you, you, know, you realize the devil may keep on bringing up your past. That's just because he doesn't have any new material. You are in Christ. You're in Christ. God uses faithful people. In 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God didn't check his ability. He checked his availability. And he checked his faithfulness. We just want to look at an ability. But he said, no, no. He counted me faithful. And David was faithful. He's out there watching those sheep and along comes a lion. Now, most people go sheep, lion, I'm gone. But David stayed. He was faithful. He protected the sheep. A bear came and he was faithful and he stayed and he took care of the sheep. When his dad sent him with the pizza to go to the, to the, 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 to the battlefront, it says, listen, he rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper. What did he do? He was faithful with his responsibilities. People may have thought, well, that's just a little thing, taking care of some sheep. But to him, it was important. He was faithful with, how many of the Bible says, if you're faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. But if you're unfaithful with little, you'll be unfaithful with much. Listen to this. Uh, David had an army of well over a million men. But there were 30 of those men who became known as David's mighty men. And of those 30, there were three. I want to just read to you about one of the three. Because all of them have basically a similar story. But it says, after him was Shammah. 
And the Philistines gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Let me ask you, how many of you have had some lentil soup? How many die for it? <laughs> I mean, it, it's just not it's just not on the top of anybody's list. All right. There's a piece of ground full of lentils. <laughs> the people fled from the Philistines. But Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the field. He said, hey, these 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 lentils, they not might not be much, but this is my responsibility and I'm not moving. It may seem like little to you. He says he defended it. He killed the Philistines. Now, here's what I think is great. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Who supernaturally helped him? The Lord brought about a great victory. But he just stationed himself there. Somebody said, wow, why are you going to, you know, it, it, they're just lentils. I want you to remember this. First of all, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in, in much. And it's amazing to me how many people are not faithful in little. You know, well, all, I, I, I'm just a nursery worker and, and it doesn't matter if I'm not there. I'm just an usher. I'm just a, I'm just a this. I'm just a that. Do you know, God doesn't look at what we do. He looks at our faithfulness. 500 years ago, Martin Luther made this statement. He said, the preacher who preaches the sermon and the milkmaid who milks the cow both equally serve the same Lord. Amen. It's what you're faithful doing. We look at what we do, but God looks at our faithfulness and what we do. And somebody said, well, there's just some lentils. Well, you can't let the devil have anything. Listen, listen, if you give him your beans... He will want your rice. He'll want your enchilada. He'll want your tortilla. He'll want your horchata. He'll be after the whole, he'll be after the whole chimichanga. Trust me. You cannot live the devil a little bit. Don't give him anything. Let me, let me close with uh, a couple more thoughts. Let's get back here. Never fight alone. Not that never. Fight. How many of you know? Everybody knows about David and Goliath, right? And like I said, people know that story. They don't even know it's in the Bible. David killed Goliath. But what most people don't know about is the giant that David could not kill. Because there was a day when David could not kill a giant. And the giant almost killed David. It says, then Ishbibinab who was the son of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, you will not go out with us to battle anymore, at least you quench the lamp of Israel. So we all know about Goliath. And I just want to say this. There's days when you can kill every giant that shows up. But there are other days when if you don't have some help, the giant will kill you. Let me say it this way. You were never meant to do life alone. No, over 30 times in just the New Testament, it tells us to love one another, tells us to pray for one another, tells us to bear one another's burdens, to forgive one another. Over 30, one another. How many of you know you can't one another by yourself? 
You can't do it. And, and I would even say you can't want another live streaming. Is it true? Is it true? It's true. Um, you, can get some, you can get some spiritual food and you can participate, but you can't do everything you're supposed to. You were created for relationship. You were created to be a part of a body. And in, in David's case, we all know when he killed Goliath, but we need to remember there was a day when if he hadn't had a friend, he would have been killed. And every one of us, we need other people in our life. Don't live your Christian life alone. Don't try to do ministry alone. And then lastly, remember this. Always, always, always lift up Jesus. John 16, 14. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take of what's mine and he will declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is always going to lift up Jesus He's always going to glorify Jesus. The Apostle Paul has been out establishing churches in Asia Minor. And he gets a group of the leaders together. And this is the statement that he makes. He says, also from among your own selves shall arise men, speaking perverse things, drawing disciples unto themselves. Drawing disciples unto who? Themselves. Do you know, the, the, in fact, I prayed it today. I said, God, when I'm to teach today, I said, may nobody see me, but can everybody see Jesus? We want to lift up Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit's involved, he's always lifting up Jesus. He's always lifting up Jesus. And remember that the Holy Spirit, he will lift up Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's his kingdom. He's the king. He's the one who died for us. He's the one that was buried. He's the one that rose again. And he is the one who is coming again. And it's all about Jesus. Always remember that. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Would you bow your heads for just a moment, please? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.